here's the snap, four-man rush, firing downfield, and got a man, rock and roll, touchdown, Texans! Game day is every day. Yeah, nice ball, nice ball. Five nights a week, the hits keep on coming. There's a sack. Wow, he's bringing down the quarterback. Now, it's Texans All Access. Car back to throw. Wants to swing it to Wells. Instead, goes over the top. Johnson with the catch. Touchdown, Texans. Spectacular catch by Andre Johnson. Oh, there's one of them. We're going to the highlights tonight, some of the big catches of his career. Andre Johnson, that was against Minnesota in 2004. A helicopter catch in the end zone by Andre Johnson, one of many gigantic plays in his, hopefully, Hall of Fame career because he's a finalist named that way at 4 p.m. today. So let's hope that he gets in. The voting will begin soon enough, and the announcement will be Super Bowl week. It's Texans All Access. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. And if only we had somebody who could comment with great knowledge and intelligence about the Hall of Fame process. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. John McClain is with us tonight because it's Thursday. General, good evening. He's a finalist. I would imagine you're not surprised, but tell me your reaction to it. Well, uh, I have never been uh, more nervous about someone I have promoted and presented to our committee, and that goes back to a lot of others, than I was with Andre. And I don't know if it's because I covered him so long or because he's the first Texan. Also, there were so many receivers, I think seven, who were among the 25 finalists, semifinalists, and now there are three who are among the finalists. Reggie Wayne, who played most of his career with Peyton Manning, Torrey Holt, who played with Kurt Warner, and Andre Johnson played with David Carr and Matt Schaub. And we will vote on January 18th. It'd be five modern era finalists can make it. Then we have to vote yes or no on a coach, Dick Vermeil, a contributor, Art McNally, and a senior, Cliff Branch. And congratulations to his family and friends and fans because Cliff grew up here and they're all still here before we became a great receiver for the Raiders. And I just wish Cliff were alive. He'd been so close when he was alive to see that he finally made it. So we'll find out. Like the committee member, we don't know. We'll all find out on February 10th. Uh, that night, the NFL Honors Show will uh, disclose the Hall of Fame and the new class of 2022, as well as all the postseason honors. And it's so smart to move it to Thursday instead of Saturday night because it'll give so much more attention and better ratings. And uh, the process now, I've kept Andre up to date on everything I did as far as what statistics I used. And I want to thank the Texans because they really helped me over the last year. Anything I needed them to look up, they provided for me. And thanks to Cal McNair and Omar Masood and, other people that helped, but, uh, and so, you know, there's, there's some things I'd like to say right quick. And a lot of people are like, you know, well, why is Andre Johnson, uh, does he have a chance to make it? And I always tell people, this is something that I, that I use quite a bit. And besides the thing I just told about, uh, Matt Schaub and David Carr being his, uh, quarterbacks and all these other hall of famers getting to, to, uh, 
play with great quarterbacks and Andre didn't have that didn't have that chance and he was very praiseworthy of course of Gary Kubiak because his career took off and I called Gary and Gary told why you know he's deserving to be in the Hall of Fame and everything he did for the franchise but one of the things that is most impressive you know the numbers are gaudy but all receivers have gaudy numbers today but the thing that I wanted to know that I thought was important how does Andre compare to other Hall of Fame receivers and there's three stats here that I think stand out. And remember who these other receivers played with. Andre had five seasons with at least 100 receptions. He never had a player play opposite him who had 900 yards. 500 yard, five 100 catch seasons. That's one more than Jerry Rice and Marvin Harrison. Rice, of course, played with Montana and Young, and Harrison played all but one season with Peyton Manning. And that's two more than Chris Carter and Randy Moss. Andre had three 1,500-yard seasons. He's tied for second with Harrison, one behind Rice. And then Johnson and Harrison had three seasons with at least 100 catches and 1,500 yards. That's one more than Rice and two more than Moss. Michael Irvin, Isaac Bruce, and Calvin Johnson. So in each of those stats, Andre Johnson is being mentioned with Jerry Rice and Andre Johnson, and, I mean, and Marvin Harrison. And so those are things, and I've got so many more things like that, but you don't like to bog people down in numbers because it's hard to comprehend. But when your name is mentioned with Jerry Rice, uh, that shows the level in which you played the game and your sustained greatness. John, two things. Number one, how did how do the finalists work? Like, how do they get it? Down? How do you guys get it down to fifteen? Do you vote on it? How do you guys get it down to fifteen? And then, secondly, now that you've got the fifteen, what's the process for presenting? Do you have to present Andre's case again? How does it kind of work in those two situations? Uh, the the committee. There's forty eight of us. We started off with 124, and then we reduced that down to 25. And we don't actually make presentations. You know, what we do is we all, the guy that we are presenting, we send, we talk about it. We send it. Every time I was in a press box this season with a member of our committee, I talked to him about Andre. I didn't want to bog him down with stuff. And, uh, and so, uh, I was worried there were seven receivers who were semifinalists that he wasn't going to make the finals, and he did, one of three. And so uh, I have been sending out statistics, plaudits from people that went against him. And so now on, on January the 18th, we'll meet for about eight or nine hours on Zoom, and then when it comes my time to present Andre, I will. And then I'll have like, I can't remember if it's five or seven minutes. Everybody uh, runs long. I will not because I don't want people yawning and falling asleep. And all they can think of is Andre Johnson. And so I've said this for several years. I will I always try to pack my presentation after the closing arguments on Law and Order, which I think I watched them all. And so I always stand up. Now, I won't stand up on Zoom and look around the room, but I will end my presentation with the quarterbacks he played with. And then others will speak up 
and say things and they'll kick it around. Now, I find it interesting that uh, Reggie Wayne is a finalist and a guy drafted him and coached him, Bill Pullian and Tony Dungy are on their committee. And so they'll be pushing for him and I'll be mm. pushing for Andre. And I'm hoping to, to uh, round up some other committee members because we have guys like James Lofton and Ed Fouts on there. And so then what we do after everybody's through with their presentations, and then we've already voted yes or no on the coach, contributor, and senior. And then they tell us to reduce the list of 15 uh, to 10. So we all vote, and they have accountants come out and take it, and they disappear in another room. And then the Hall of Fame says, okay, here's the 10 that you have left. And so they call out those 10. And so then they say, okay, I want you to reduce it to five. And that's when it really gets tough. So we reduce it to five, hold up our slip of paper. The accountants pick them up. There's about 15 accountants, and they take off and go to another room. And then they come back and tell us who the five finalists are, and we vote yes or no. And uh, I have never voted no on anybody that was a finalist, one of the five. A couple guys got that far and didn't make it. And to me, that's like holding your feet over the fire. And I just think it's cruel and unusual punishment. And more and more people today are doing that, just rubber stamping the final five. And so they will announce the five modern era finalists. And if the three, the contributor, the senior, and the uh, coach make it, now they've all made it. They're all making it because there's committees. I'm on the seniors committee and the coaches committee. And the big committee knows how much work we put into that. And if we nominate somebody, they should go ahead and sign off on it. And that's the way they do. So I hope Andre makes it. Good luck. I think Vermeil should make it only because he's been depicted in two movies by Greg Kinnear and by Dennis Quaid. That's strong. <laughs> that's part of my argument if I'm presenting for him. General, a couple of things here. It seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, this class feels like there's no real slam dunk. We got to put this guy in, whoever the guy is, immediately must go in right away, candidate here, which could help Andre. And you mentioned a lot of things about the quarterbacks and everything. Look, I like Reggie Wayne a lot. He's a cane. I get it. And I will not take anything away from what he did. However, if I put Andre Johnson in his shoes, I got to think it's going to be even better. You know, if I put Reggie Wayne in Andre Johnson's shoes throughout his career, I'm not so sure the numbers are going to be what Andre Johnson put up. I could probably say the same thing for Torrey Holt. I feel like they're different kinds of players. But what do you make of a couple of things that I just said? One thing I never do is – say anything negative about another person's uh, candidate because I don't want them thinking, okay, well, he said stuff negative about my guy. I'm not going to mm. vote for his. But I will say something like Reggie Wayne is very deserving. He played for – he played with Peyton Manning and his teammate Marvin Harrison. And he was coached by Tony Dungy. All of them are in the Hall of Fame. And Torrey Holt is deserving. He played opposite Isaac Bruce with Marshall Falk and Orlando Pace. And they're all in the Hall of Fame. And Andre Johnson, here's who he played for and who coached him. And uh, so um, that's something I, I just, I, you know, I can't speak for the other voters. 
But if I'm voting and I think, okay, those guys played with Hall of Fame coaches, they had Hall of Fame receivers next to them, they both had Hall of Fame running backs with them, Marshall Falk and Edgar James, and then here's Andre Johnson, who has better numbers than both of them in every category. I I hope it helps. John, at what point did you – I don't want to say come to grips with, but at what point did you start mentally preparing for, you know what, I'm going to have to present, I'm going to have to make this case for Andre Johnson. Was there some, was there a point near the end of his career where you're like, or, or at what point did you decide or did you think, man, he's got a shot. Look at how this is going. Look at how this is trending. I need to start mentally preparing for a time when I need to prepare the case for Andre going into the Hall of Fame was late in his career with the Texans. I used to talk about it on 610, about about uh, preparing for it and starting to think about it and how I would present it. And I used to talk to Andre about it. He didn't want to hear about it. <laughs> you know, he, he didn't, and when he was playing, most players don't want to hear about it. As he told me today, he said, you know, when I came in the league, I, I wanted to be a great player and play the game the right way. I never thought about the Hall of Fame. I said, well, what does it mean then? that you're this close. And he said, I guess it shows that I never took my craft for granted, how dedicated I was. And then he talked about Gary Kubiak's impact on him, the way Kubes, when he came in, uh, wanted to make, he said, Kubes wanted to get the ball to the playmakers. And he said, I, he challenged me and, and I lived up to it. And he did. And uh, I would love to see him get in. I think it's interesting. The Hall of Fame changed this today. Usually the announcement, we announce all of them at the same time. They send it to the committee members two hours early. I had my story ready and ready to go. And But then they sent a thing that when it was, we couldn't release it uh, at 4.02. They had a deal with NFL Network, and the network was going to release one every two minutes. So you can imagine if your guy was Willie Anderson at Cincinnati, and you had to wait through all those others. So thank God Andre was the first one. I don't know how they determined that because it wasn't alphabetical. Maybe it was his first name. So I had everything ready to go. Greg Rogan from the Chronicle had my story. As soon as I took 402, I said, boom, put it out there. And um, I didn't like the way we did that. But then I rewrote the story and put in all the finalists. Plus, I had quotes from Andre about Hulk and uh, Reggie Wayne. And I had to reinsert them in there because I couldn't put them in the first story. But that was strange the way it was done. You know, we, we work on this, the committee members, and most of us are in the media. And some are retired and some are former players and coaches who are in the media. And we'd spend a lot of time on this. And we feel short change because we get scooped on it by the NFL honors show that doesn't do squad, of course, and the NFL network that doesn't do squad. So they get it, you know, first. But there's nothing we can do about it. If we don't like it, get off the committee. And I'm happy if the NFL honors show is the first to reveal Andre Johnson as part of the class of 2022 that I will do everything I can to help him. And I told him, if it doesn't happen, we'll do it again next year. 
Yeah, you mentioned the show, and I'm watching it on the monitor in my office, and I'm like, it says finalist. They they went right into it without any kind of warm-up. It was just, bang, here it is. Finalist, really? That's okay, one. good, good. See, I thought they may mess around, and it wouldn't be 402. It'd be five, five minutes later. But the Hall of Fame said, 402, push that button. So we did. Yeah, and it felt like sort of an NCAA selection show, you know? Because they announced the first three, and then they interviewed Devin Hester. And I feel like if I was waiting on my candidate, I would think, get to my bracket already, okay? <laughs> get to the South Regional. I want to see who's in, like the NCAA selection show. I'm just is totally impatient here. Uh, they could have had cameras in everybody's home and see the reaction and the disappointment. No, they weren't going to do that. Uh, General, there's a game to be played on Sunday. The Texans going to San Francisco, Santa Clara, to play the 49ers. Your take on the matchup as the Texans are getting a lot of players back and might have some luxury problems deciding who's going to be active on Sunday for a change. Well, first of all, I would say, is that good? Considering how those other players played against the Chargers, those guys played their (laughs) tails off. (laughs) They had blocking from the offensive line they haven't had in two years. They had a running game they hadn't had in two years. I thought the credit to the offensive line and James Kempen and the defensive line, there were so many backups in that game, and they just pulverized the Chargers. And I just sent a column in on D'Amico Ryans. It'll be on Texas Sports, Sports Nation in a minute. And in the Chronicle, tomorrow I talked to D'Amico this week about so much of what he does in coaching as a first-year coordinator was because of what he learned from Coop and him talking about the players who helped him as a rookie make the adjustment. And uh, he just couldn't, he couldn't have been better more. You know, you guys know how he has so much dignity. I wish he could have played his whole career here. You know, in the trade with Philadelphia, when Cushing was taking his place, the Texans got Ben Jones and Brandon Brooks in those two draft choices. That wasn't too shabby. Ben's still playing for the Titans, and and Brandon has been a Pro Bowl guard for the Eagles. I think he's out this year. But uh, and so D'Amico's talking about the Texans, and you know they 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 got to play better than they played against the Titans, and of course they got to play a whole lot better than the Chargers played against the Texans. But two game winning streak going to Santa Clara. I never say San Francisco. It, that stadium is like putting the Texans NRG Stadium on the beach in Galveston. It's the same distance. And that wouldn't be San Francisco. That'd be Galveston. So on Saturday night, I'll be in my hotel room in Santa Clara watching those fighting Baylor Bears in a sugar bowl. And then I'm going to the game about four hours early so I can see so many of those former Texans who work for the 49ers, including all their coordinators, Kyle Shanahan, can you believe Richard Hightower as a coordinator, the way he started with the Texans? What was Richard's job and when he got there? I want to say assistant, wasn't assistant, coaching. assistant, assistant to the assistants. Yeah, I don't know. Like something really Mike, way down. But look, Salah was that. I mean, he, I don't even know if Richard was quality control. I mean, he might have been underneath he wasn't. that I don't think position. he was I gotta, in coaching. I don't think he was in coaching. He might have been working with Tony Wiley. He was in another part. And so Mike McDaniel's I think he might have been in business ops. He could have been mm-hmm. D'Amico Ryan's defensive coordinator and uh, Richard Hightower's special teams. Johnny Holland is there as the linebackers coach. Uh, Jay Burnett is the strength guy. 
uh, Ray Wright, I mean, the equipment guy, Ray Wright, eight years of strength guy here, he was with him. And he's the one that actually, D'Amico called to ask him if he could talk to Kyle. And he did. And then Kyle and Sala called D'Amico to see if he was serious and the rest is history. And he's being mentioned for head coaching jobs. Hey, General, you mentioned it. You flexed a little bit about Baylor uh, playing in the Sugar Bowl against Ole Miss. They went to the Fiesta Bowl with Art Bryles. They went to a Sugar Bowl with Matt Rule. It's become more of a common occurrence. But for Baylor fans and Baylor alums, making it to a New Year's Day Six Bowl, does it still hold that same kind of allure, You know, even though they're going with more regularity than they have in the past? I remember 2014, it was such a big deal because they hadn't been there in so long. But now that they've been there three times in seven, eight years, does it still hold the same allure to go to a big bowl game like they're going to tomorrow? or Saturday? It does. It does, John, because it's not like they're real good every year. You know, when Matt Rule took him to the Sugar Bowl two years after considering what happened with Art Browse and how bad they were in Rule's first year, you know, the interest was through the roof. And then last year, they were terrible in Dave Aranda's first season. Nobody expected this. They were picked eighth in the Big 12. So people are even more fired up about it. And uh, there's a lot of my good Baptist buddies who are already over there <laughs> down on Bourbon Street partying like crazy. Hey, Richard Hightower, I, Kevin Cooper, I just texted with him. Richard Hightower was a marketing intern in 2004. Marketing <laughs> intern. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin Cooper. How about that? That's marketing amazing. Intern. Well, Roger Goodell was a PR intern. Brian Billick was a PR intern before he became head coach of the Ravens. But I remember seeing Hightower bouncing around over there with Tony Wiley and Kevin Cooper. And then next thing you know, he's a special teams coordinator of the 49ers. That's incredible. General, what about other AFC South matchups this week as we embark on the final couple of weeks of the NFL regular season? There's one great one, the Chiefs at the Bengals. If the Bengals can end the Chiefs' winning streak, and remember the Chiefs are only giving up twice a game during that winning streak. If the Bengals were to do that, after sweeping Baltimore and Pittsburgh, they're going to take them seriously. And I keep thinking about Zach Taylor, their head coach, who used to hang around NRG Stadium when his soon-to-be father-in-law, Mike Sherman, was coaching the offensive line and being an assistant head coach. And he ended up marrying Mike's daughter, Sarah, and they now have four children. But he used to come in there and hang out when he was – I don't even know what he was. And then when Mike went to A&M, he took Zach with him and Sarah with him, and then they got married. And to think that that he could out-coach Andy Reid at a time like this, you know, Baltimore didn't have either of his two quarterbacks play Josh Johnson, who played pretty darn well. But we're going to all have to take notice of the Bengals if they win this game. I said that the other day. I think the Bengals are the one team in the AFC you got to take. I mean, they're so difficult to stop. General Carson Wentz on covid However, the protocols have changed, so there's a potential of Wentz playing against the Raiders. Wentz really hasn't done a lot this year, but that game against the Cardinals, he made that big throw. The Colts are facing the Raiders this week. A win, I think, puts the Colts in the playoffs. If Wentz is playing, if Wentz isn't playing, how do you look at that game against the Raiders? Well, first of all, I I believe that Wentz will play. The new protocols would allow him to be ready to play Sunday. He's doing everything with the team virtually. 
And if they have to play Sam Ellinger, the rookie, you know, they're going to face uh, 10-man fronts to try to stop Jonathan Taylor. And I think Wentz will play. Now, he got COVID-19, so maybe he's going to be ill because that five-day period, you don't come back if you still have the symptoms. you got to be well. And they need him. You know, if he doesn't play in this game, like, like Joey Bosa didn't play against the Texans, Mike Williams, a receiver, and they're both unvaccinated. I'd be so infuriated if I were fans and my guys didn't get vaccinated. It cost us games. It could have cost us playoffs. General, what do you have going out of the Houston Chronicle? Well, let's see. I have uh, Andre Johnson's story about him being one of the 15 finalists, and I have a column on D'Amico Ryan's talking about his days in Houston and how he got into coaching. He started sniffing it when he was during the lockout in his before his last season when he and Schaub would get the offense and defense over together at Rice to practice because you couldn't go to the facility. Wade Phillips, first year, he gave him a playbook, and he, that's when he first started to really get serious about it. And uh, Brooks Cabina has got all the news. And uh, thank you guys for asking, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year, General. Thank you very much for being on the Sick show. Sick <laughs> Bears on Saturday night. Uh, Texans Niners 305 Sunday live right here. Johnny and I will talk about it more on Andre Johnson, of course. We have a second hour of programming tonight because no Thursday night NFL football. So a little bit more on Andre Johnson in that hour and also Jonathan Grenard, Chris Conley. We've got some good stuff for you tonight. It's all happening on Texans Radio. If you love podcasts and you love the Texans, You'll love our Texans podcasts. Now available on iTunes and HoustonTexans.com. Hi, I'm Sandy Johnson, the CEO of Barrios Technology and one of the original founders of the company. Our first contract was to support the space shuttle program, and we're just now getting into the commercial space industry as well. We started our relationship with Amogee Bank 10 years ago. They have dug in and gotten to understand our business. I trust them, they trust us, and they're confident in us and our ability to grow the business. That's my family, my business, and my bank. Amogee Bank, Zions Bank Corporation, and a member FDIC, official business bank of the Houston Texans. Business Bank of the Houston Texans. Keep up with the Houston Texans everywhere you go. Download the Texans mobile app. Fourth down and 10, Texans at their 36-yard line. Schaub in the shotgun, three wide set. Steve Slayton in the backfield with Matt Schaub. Daniels in motion to the right. Schaub takes the snap, steps out to the right, plants. And he throws to the left sideline and caught by Andre Johnson at the 41-yard line. Over Jeremiah Bell, an amazing grab by Andre Johnson. All right, that was fourth and ten against the Dolphins, week four, 2008. A play that we'll never forget, and you can just hear it in my voice. This is just desperation time. We're about to go 0-4. 0-4. That was the Hurricane Ike season. And I just felt like you just felt it. It was just not going to happen that day. And here's a last gasp. And that ball was actually, it should have been a pick, let's be honest, by Jeremiah Bell. Andre Johnson went over the top. Thank goodness over the back is not called in the NFL if your receiver is going over the top of a defensive back to try to get a reception because that's what happened. And he just ripped it away from him. First down, chains move, let's go downfield. Schaub eventually runs it in. Texans win their first of the year. And it was it was just delightful, Johnny. That was one of the many 
big catches by Andre Johnson. You ready to play some Andre Johnson? Who's better? Yeah, I do. I'll follow up that real real fast, that story, Mark. Mm -hmm. I was was covering a game for a different radio station. I had my bag on my shoulder. I was walking out. I'd, I'd seen enough. I'm like, it's 0-4. It's, it's done. And I happened to run into a friend of mine up in the press box. And we were kind of mm-hmm. watching up in the press box, kind of through one of the, the uh, kind of viewpoints, kind of up where the food is now. We're kind of looking down. And we kind of were chatting. And then it was like, eh, you know, it's fourth down. Let's just watch this play. And then I'll go. And he makes that catch. And I couldn't leave. I was like, I got to see how this mm-hmm. – I mean, he – you. Andre Johnson can't make that catch, and they not win. And then Schaub runs in a draw, mm-hmm. and it really ended up being a great day. I, but I was out of there. I was out. I'm like, I, mm-hmm. I cannot watch the rest of this. So upset. And then he made that catch. It was just it was just incredible to watch that man go to work, Mark. And you had the opportunity to do it both in college and the NFL. You were very, very lucky to be able to call his games. Very lucky indeed. And every play as a Texan and – Almost every play in college that last season I didn't do, and that's why they didn't win the championship. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but they won it. They won it, and I left, and they haven't done anything since. Now they got to the national championship against Ohio State the following year. I was watching that one at a local establishment, and they had that weird Go bad. Ahead, should it. I say bad? Say it. Horrible they got call. robbed. Horrible. They got robbed. Call. The game totally was robbed. over, totally and Glenn robbed. Spencer throws a flag. It's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah, it was ridiculous. It was really ridiculous. Anyway, all right, let's play some who's better here. Let's do because, it. all right, we visited with the general in the first segment, John McClain, Hall of Fame voter. He's going to present for Andre Johnson, and thank goodness this is happening right now. Oh, this is yeah. going to be great. I wish it was in person and not on Zoom, but who knows? I'll tell you, Andre Johnson. <laughs> I mean, he's going to give it his all, and. I, I think he's got a tremendous case. Are you with me, before we get into this, are you with me that the class, look, everybody's a Hall of Fame caliber player, yeah. I get it, but there's nobody that really jumps out where, yeah. you know, you could pick any number of these these modern era guys and you're not going to freak out maybe that somebody got in, right, yeah. over your guy. I mean, yeah. you could make a case, but you're not going to totally freak out because – the, the playing field appears to be relatively even. Am I wrong about that? What do you think? I'm right with you. I think this class has no slam dunks. Uh, one of the things I always find fascinating is afterwards, somebody posts how long the committee talks about particular players. And Peyton Manning, mm-hmm. I guess Mike Chappell, um, is on the committee, I believe, and he's covered the Colts for so long up there in Indianapolis. And he stood up and he said, I'm presenting for Peyton Manning. And then he sat back down. <laughs> That was it. Yeah. Peyton Manning was going in. And and there have been others, obviously, that have taken a lot longer to discuss. I would imagine these are going to be some pretty long meetings because you don't have you don't have a slam dunk candidate. I don't even know that there's anything that you would go, yeah, uh, I mean, hey, this is I'm presenting for DeMarcus Ware. Okay, you could probably sit down because he's going to make – I don't know. I don't know that I see no. any of them that are, are slam dunks. And I think that gives that gives Andre a great, great case. I've always felt that. I thought the one omission, Mark, Steve Smith mm-hmm. didn't make it. He mm-hmm. was up last year, mm-hmm. but he wasn't up this year. Mm-hmm. That, that was odd to me. I, I thought Steve Smith should have been in that committee. And I think Steve Smith should go in the Hall of Fame before some of the other receivers that were mentioned yep. and there with Andre. I'm with you. I'm with you. And look, I don't want to pick on Reggie Wayne. I like Reggie. I really do like Reggie. We used yeah. to interview Reggie, you know, back at the U and everything, mm-hmm. doing the shows for the Hurricane Hotline and things like that. 
but he might be the first to admit it. I used to really prop him up because I would say, look, Marvin Harrison's doing all this, but there's a guy on the other side that's drawing a lot of attention too, and that's helping out Harrison. Not to take away from Harrison's greatness, but you got Harrison on one side, Reggie Wayne on the other. You're throwing a Dallas Clark after a bit here. You're throwing a Dallas Clark. You're running the ball well, relatively, and you've got Peyton Manning pulling the trigger. Right. I mean, it's a pretty decent group of people there. So that's something. But I was going to say, who's better, Andre Johnson or Torrey Holt plus or in addition to Reggie Wayne? I I have always thought, I have always thought that Andre Johnson before any of those other guys. I've always thought mm-hmm. that. And, and I, I don't, I don't want to take away from guys that were the beneficiaries of of playing with some really great players. I really I really don't. But mm-hmm. taking a guy like take Jerry Rice for instance. Even though he played with Joe Montana, Jerry Rice was the guy you planned to stop every single moment that the 49ers were on the field. When you faced the Colts, when you faced the Rams, and I know they had a lot of different weapons, but Torrey Holt was part of that crew. He he didn't lead that. Marshall Falk was the guy mm-hmm. you were scared of. Marvin Harrison was the guy that you were scared of. And from that perspective, when you face the Texans, yeah, they didn't have you know, the, the cast of characters that Torrey Holt and Marvin Harrison had around them. You were terrified of Andre Johnson. You were terrified. Even in 11-12, when other guys start stepping up, you know, Walter and then Hop came in in, in 13, you still were scared of Andre Johnson. Still scared of him. So, to me, the deciding point, yeah, with all the great numbers, General threw out some great numbers earlier. But to me, Andre Johnson is head shoulders above those two for sure. Now, if you put him in competition with Steve Smith, now I'm like, oh boy. Because Smith, Smith set it off. I mean, Smith, every time he was on the field, he scared me. I worried about Steve Smith every time if I'm facing him as defense coordinator. I put Smith and Andre up there. Those would be the two receivers I would have up there before anybody else at this point. Okay. All right, let's keep going with who's better. Let's go to Sunday's game. Now, the injury report is out. Jimmy Garoppolo did not practice again today. That's a big development for the Texans, by the way. Jimmy Moreland out with an illness. Anthony O'Claire out with an illness. And everybody else um, who was on the report yesterday that was limited. Uh, any changes there? I think A.J. Moore limited with an illness. And the rest of the guys practice. So that's pretty yep. good. I mean, there were yep. some limited guys here, but I'm not freaking out about anybody in particular. Okay, but you tell me, who's better right now for the Niners? For the Niners, Jimmy Garoppolo or Trey Lance, this coming Sunday, they need this one against the Texans. From their perspective, who's better? I think, let me make sure I say this properly. Trey Lance getting these last couple games and going into the playoffs will do more for the 49ers than Jimmy Garoppolo leading Mm. that team into the playoffs. Now, I'm not saying that Trey Lance is going to be the guy that leads them to a championship this year. Mm -hmm. But I think with Trey Lance getting reps in two big games down the stretch and getting reps in a big game in the playoffs, regardless of who they play, is going to make the 2022 Niners and beyond, I think, that much better. I think Garoppolo, the ceiling, I think he's at the ceiling. If he gets in the playoffs, okay, great. But you know you're going to Trey Lance at some point. So if you get Trey Lance to get in the playoffs and he's able to have a game, two, three, how many ever games of reps in the playoffs 
What that means for him in 2022, I think, is going to be off the charts important for the Niners. So that's a team with the talent that can't go win it all with Lance. I don't think that happens this year. But I think it's important that Lance gets those playoff reps. And, you know, you think back to the Niners, the decision that they had to make in 2012 when Jim Harbaugh pulls the trigger and goes to Colin Kaepernick because he realized Kaepernick gives us a better shot long-term to do something more than Alex Smith does. I think that's the same thing with Trey Lance. It may not be perfect, and Lance might turn the ball over and do different things, but he's dynamic with the ball in his hands. He can throw the deep ball, and his ceiling is that much higher. I think it's important for the 49ers' sake to go with Lance, let him play these last couple games, see if they get into playoffs, and then let him have those playoff reps. I think it's that much more important for their organization. Boy, what a difference a couple of wins make, right? Heading into this thing and the Texans playing a little bit better now. Well, a lot better, really. Yeah. And see what they can cook up. Yep. And all the pressure on the 49ers still. And it's a great threesome to end the season with when you look at the Chargers, Niners, and Tennessee because they all have playoffs on the line. Yep. And you have a chance to really put a dent in their plans. I love oh, it. Oh, man. You know, that under just the, hit me. If, that just hit me, Mark. Wow. What if you knock the Chargers out of the playoffs? What if you knock the Niners out of the playoffs? Mm-hmm. And then the Titans, I mean, obviously the Titans play the Dolphins this year. And by the way, they're playing a bowl game in, uh, in the Titans stadium tonight. So what's tonight? Thursday? They got to turn yeah. around and play a game at noon on Sunday. This field is getting chopped up. It's going to be bad, bad, bad in Tennessee app for this game this field is not gonna hold it's gonna be a horrible footing surface on Sunday so it's gonna be interesting to watch Titans Dolphins because Dolphins have playoffs on the line but man how awesome would it be to knock the Chargers out of playoffs the 49ers out of the playoffs and I know other games would have cost them too but at this point in the season those teams are chalking up wins oh we're gonna beat the Texans we're gonna beat them well we got one of you we got the Chargers now let's go for number two this weekend against the Niners hey the Jags might have been saying that too all right coming up Andre Johnson comments, and this is from a previous show, on a couple of his iconic catches. We'll listen to those comments and set you up for the 49ers in hour number two of this program tonight here. It's Texans All Access. Texans All Access continues in a moment. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Your favorite team is all over social media. Give the Houston Texans a follow on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, or TikTok. High formation. Schaub wants to throw. Steps left. Throws to the end zone. Caught by Andre Johnson at the five. And backpedals his way in. Andre Johnson got the ball in for six as he was met at the five but would not be denied. Okay, that was at Arizona 2009 when he took three people on. And Johnny... Play-by-play inside baseball stuff here. The 
call is that way because you know where the booth is in Arizona. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Opposite end of the stadium. And yes. I'm like, I think some people hit them along the way, but I can't. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, I mean, we got the job done there, but uh, I really like would have liked to redo that one. Uh, but it was really a tremendous moment. I mean, he just willed his oh way into God. the end zone. And that might be, look, the all-time Andre Johnson highlight in many people's minds is, beating up court Finnegan, right? I mean, that's, yes, it is. A lot of people think that's the that's the moment, right? In and not just those people, not just those people in Houston too. It was a lot more people around the the the, the nation that liked yep. seeing that. That was awesome. Yeah, I think though that uh, on the field, that Arizona play is as good as any he ever yeah. made. And the fourth and ten against Washington, you'll hear that next hour. We're going to roll out Andre Johnson highlights out yeah. of every uh, break here. The fourth and ten at Washington is my favorite because it tied a game. And look, I know that wasn't a great season eventually, but it was week two and you yeah. went two and zero, oh, and that was yeah. a really cool way to start the season. And it was fourth and ten, and Schaub just said, "Go get it," and he did, and it was awesome. So I don't know I how remember, you feel about it. I did a tell straight on that play, and we got it somewhere in the vault. I don't know where it is, but we we did oh. a film room, I think, on that play, and. It's interesting because we talked to Andre the day he signed his uh, one-day contract, which I think was April of 2017. And we were asking him about that play, and Andre's so honest. He's like, it's 4th and 10. I didn't think, I didn't think Matt was going to look at me. And you could see it in his route. He starts to go across, and they had run that route earlier, and they didn't hit it. And so Andre starts to run his route, and you can tell he gets to the end of the route, and he's like, all right, he's not looking. Oh, my God, he's looking at me, and he took off for the end zone. And listening to Dre tell the story about that, and, of course, he sees the ball in the air, and he's like, I'm not letting Reed Doty go get this ball. I'm going to go get it. And then, of course, the Muhammad Ali pose as he spikes it, standing over Doty in the end zone is just awesome. And it's one of the more iconic photos in Texas history. I mean, it's so so incredible. That's that's the one. My my – my, one of my favorite Andre Johnson moments is one that nobody will ever, it, nobody will ever know, hmm. and maybe nobody ever saw. And it happened in the 2014 game at Dallas against the the Cowboys, and we were down 17-10, and we were going to our left, and it was right underneath. You know, obviously where the Arlington booth is. It was it happened oh, right yeah. in front of you, but Arian ran in the touchdown to make it 17-17. And that day is such an electric day because I'm telling you, if it wasn't 50-50 in in those stands, it was like Mm 51-49. So Arian scores to make it 17-16. We got to just tack on the extra point. And I just – I obviously was on our sideline, and I happened to look in the end zone that was closest to me, the closest part of the end zone because Arian was on the other side. And Andre was having like a one-man – celebration in the end zone and just like you could tell he was just kind of like gesturing to the ground like this is our house he like walked over to the Texans fans and he started (laughs) celebrating with them and it was just this moment of like of joy it was really cool to watch because he wasn't a guy that was demonstrative he wasn't a guy that said a lot of stuff but I just happened to catch him celebrating just kind of on his own and it's one of those things where you know, it's like you're dancing in your car alone. Nobody's really watching you. I just happened to see him, and I thought it was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen. 
how excited he was getting. And obviously, we, we didn't win that game. But I'll never forget that day, and I'll never forget him celebrating about that. And it would be oh, his last man. season with the Texans. And it's just – it was so cool to see him have that moment in that particular game against that particular team. How about the schedule next year for traveling Texans? The road schedule for next year. Oh. The way it stands right now, at Chicago, yep. at Dallas, at Denver, at Vegas, yep. at the New York Giants, oh. at Miami. Are you kidding? <laughs> And the NFC, I mean, the AFC North team, just flip a coin right now or, yeah. you know, throw a dart because I'm not really sure. Throw a, bl- throw a blindfolded dart. I'm not really sure how that's going to work out uh, with that division because there are a lot of different scenarios still in the AFC North. I'm kind of pulling for the Bengals here this weekend. I, I, what do I mean? I am kind too. of. I hate the Chiefs. I want to see the Chiefs lose. So I'm up for that. Uh, Johnny, that's going to do it for this hour. We're going to hear from you next hour. You know, you got this compilation of – Keynes talking about Andre Johnson. Yeah. That's coming up in about 45 minutes. Frank Gore, Reggie Wayne, Michael Irvin, what he had to say about his chances getting into the hall. We'll have that for you. We're going to visit with Chris Conley. You're going to hear more Andre Johnson highlights. Also a visit with Jonathan Grenard. It's all coming up next hour here on Texans Radio. This is Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610. The Houston Texans, Toro and NOV, have partnered with the Sam Houston Area Council of Boy Scouts of America to present Toro Takes the Bull Out of Bullying. Toro Takes the Bull Out of Bullying, presented by NOV, is an educational assembly about preventing bullying. This year, the Texans and NOV have created an anti-bullying patch for students in the Scout Reach program. Scouts who complete Toro's anti-bullying quiz on HoustonTexans.com will receive the patch. The Texans, NOV, and the Boy Scouts are proud to help stop bullying across Houston. Here's the snap, four-man rush, firing downfield, and got a man, rock and roll, touchdown, Texans! Game day is every day. Yeah, nice ball, nice ball! Five nights a week, the hits keep on coming. There's a sack! Wow! Bringing down the cornerback. Now, it's Texans All Access, presented by Mattress Firm. Matt gets the snap. There's pressure. Matt steps to his right. Matt trying to step up. Matt heaves it toward the end zone. Wants Andre Johnson. He makes the catch for a Texans touchdown. Andre Johnson plucks it out of the air. And the Texans will tie this game. Matt Schaub just said, go ahead and get it. You're the best wide receiver in the league. Oh, what a great memory that is of the Texans defeating Washington. That was the game-tying touchdown. Iconic image of Andre catching the ball, spiking it. Muhammad Ali over Sonny Liston style, and you've seen that picture so many times, and that was the call from that particular game, a week two showdown with Washington. The Texans prevailed in the extra session. Andre Johnson is a finalist for the Hall of Fame. Let's hope for the best. We talked about him a bunch in the opening hour of this show. Let's get to some things we had planned, and we'll talk more about Andre as the show continues here, but Chris Conley, one of the wide receivers for this Houston Texans squad here in 2021. D.P. Sidhu had a chance to catch up with him, and we learned a whole lot more about this guy. Former Jaguar made a big touchdown catch last week against the Chargers. Here's that conversation. All right, so one of the first things that I learned about you when you signed with the Texans, I, went, I, I write the series called Get to Know, and just in a very cursory search of you, uh, saw your film Retribution, the um, the Star Wars fan film that you made at Georgia, mm-hmm. 
So I learned very quickly that you're a big Star Wars buff. So yeah. I watched it. It's 26 minutes. It's It feels like a short feature film. It's pretty intense. You've got stormtroopers. You've got battle scenes. You've got special effects. You've got cameos. You've got extras. How long did something like that take for you to put together? You wrote it, too directed long. it, and starred in it, right? Too long. It took me too long. I, I think that the whole the idea gathering process for that probably took me a month and a half. Um, at that point, I didn't know anything about writing scripts, and so it was really just an outline of what I wanted to happen. Then after that, it was more of like the idea of, okay, I wanted to have these sort of choreographed fights that were in it, and so then that took finding the people who would be involved in that took me another month, and choreographing and practicing those fights took another month. And then putting together, gathering these groups of people uh, and finding the people who had the knowledge that I didn't have at the time to make something like that happen. So all in all, that process probably took six to eight months. And uh, I learned a lot from it. You know, they'd say if you don't look back at your earlier films and cringe, then <laughs> you didn't you didn't do it right. But I, I that's like the number one thing that people when they talk about my love for like storytelling or filmmaking, that's the f number one thing that they bring up because obviously that was my first one and it's also it kind of went viral back then. But I just oh it makes me cringe. What makes you things. cringe about? I thought it was I thought that was for a college student to put something like that together. I expected far less to be honest because it was a college production, but it seemed pretty high quality. It's it, I mean I don't know how much money you had and how much time you had to do it, but what None. makes you cringe about it? None really, but it's the fact that what I know now about storytelling and being efficient with the time that you have a viewer obviously it's 26 minutes long i didn't know anything about what a short film is you want to keep a short film under 15 minutes <laughs> it's not a short uh, film that's why i call not. it a mini i call it a mini feature <laughs> oh yeah it's definitely i i crossed the line i crossed the line big time but there were so many ideas that i had that i i put all of my ideas into the film and one of the things that you learn as you mature as a writer and as a creator and um uh, there's a saying and they say it's like killing your little babies and it's like all the little all the little things that you love, all the little ideas that you think are so cool when it comes to a project, you have to learn how to get rid of them. You have to learn how to cut them out. You have to cut all the excess and the fat off the bone and really just leave the meat there and get to the point, grab, it, grab a viewer's attention, keep that attention, convey and tell a, short, a story in as short a time as possible, and then get out. And so that's, that's really what... Uh, good filmmaking is good filmmaking can tell great filmmaking can tell so many storylines in a short amount of time in a concise amount of space and uh, that's really what I've been working on and learning and when I watch that it's just it's just idea vomit and it's just all over <laughs> the place. Maybe you needed an editor you needed someone with you know an objective point of view to I come had in an and editor. Edit I had an editor. I didn't edit that video at that oh, point. Oh, okay. At that your point, editor loved all your babies uh, too. I, I take oh, it. Just yeah. Put everything in there. At that point, I didn't know how to operate a camera myself. At that point, I didn't know how to. I could use basic editing software. I didn't know anything about tempo or anything like that. So, editing and color grading weren't something that I did. So I had other people doing all of that. And when I saw things at the end, I just had you know some basic. Oh well, I don't really like how long this is or how long but it wasn't really in depth now when i when i do a film i'd either like to get sent every single draft that comes from an editor or i'd like to be in the room with them as they're editing mm. and because really your vision has to be it has to be as close to that original vision that you wrote as possible 
And then also, like, you have to be the person to, when it comes down to it, is willing to to cut things short and say, hey, we're going over here. Hey, we're lingering too long on this moment. Or in the rare chance that there is an artistic moment that really happens, that shines through on set, let it breathe a little bit. And I feel like that is something that, as a director, for your vision, you have to be there to say. Because an editor might have a completely different sense of what's going on. Uh, on the screen and, and a small edit can completely change the tone of uh, a piece these feel like nuanced these feel like very small nuanced things that you just gather over time but it sounds to me like you want to direct again want to make another movie again sometime in the future yeah is that what you're th- you think yeah. that you might do it again I, i've i've made i've done something uh creative every off season uh that i've been in the league whether that's shooting a short film producing like the miniseries that we did here with the common cravings. I've done something. I've probably shot at this point, I think I've shot five or six short films since Retribution. And every single time trying to tackle another uh, hurdle in the filmmaking world, there's a lot of problems that arise when you're trying to tell a story. There's so many things that come up. And, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of do's and don'ts. And I like to try to tackle the don'ts so that I can understand why it's a don't. And uh, so I know, you know, if there comes a a time where I need to use that technique or need to be in this situation, I've done it before and I can tackle it. You know, things like show, don't tell. I've done like entire short films that have no audio. Uh, I've done a short film where I had no crew, where I did it as a running gun, one man. I set the camera. I pulled the focus. I was in it. I edited it. I colored it. I, I did everything. I've done short film where I used anamorphics, big, heavy, expensive lenses that add to your, you know, your time on set and the preparation. And I, I've, I've tried to really like push myself to learn more about even roles that I might not be uh, in, in charge of on set. You know, on a lot of my larger proje- projects, I'm just directing. I'm just the writer-director. I don't have to pull focus. I don't have to. I'm not the gaffer. I don't have to light things. Mm -hmm. But I I did all of that just so that I would have a greater knowledge base for the next time that I'm on set so I can be maybe a little more technical when I'm talking to my crew. I can be a little more sensitive when I'm talking to my actors uh, and coaching them through a scene and trying to get their best performance. I feel like, well, I, I, when I was watching Retribution, you had uh, Todd Gurley. He had a cameo, and you had your coach in there. And th- it only it makes me wonder if you did a film now, a Star Wars sort of a film, with your current Texans teammates, who would you cast, and in what role would you cast them? I feel Man. like you got some potential there in the locker room. There's a lot of potential. There's, there's tons. I, I, I don't think I would do it again, per se, but I'll – because for, for the reason for that hypothetical purposes, everyone says yeah. that they want to be in a film until they realize what the call time is. You know, obviously, <laughs> Retribution was my first project. I was in college. I had nothing else to do. I could literally be out on campus shooting all day and not eat, and it'd be fine. And, and college students had no problem with that now. But now when you have, like, actual crews, you have limits, you got, you got salaries, you got, you know, this, and there's rules. So that's the reason call times are so early. So sure, everybody goes, yeah. oh, I want to be, be in your next film. And you tell them, okay, the call time for extras is 4.30 or 5 a.m. <laughs> and none of them show up. Uh, and you're not getting paid either because exactly. it's a low budget. You're not, getting, you're not getting paid. I have to pay. There's certain people I have to pay that have to be there. Uh, you're not getting paid. But um, uh, who would I cast? 
Yeah, let's just say let's just say that they're all going they're all really willing to just show up at four in the morning for call time. You don't have to pay them. They're gonna happily do it. Who would who would you cast? Who would be your your leading protagonist, uh, leading villain, your extras? How would you Star Wars characters? Let's, villain? Let's, Ooh, let's, let's put your good... let's put your teammates in Star I'm going, Wars. Characters. I'm going Sith Lord is uh the Sith Lord is definitely Tyrod. Not because he's a bad guy, <laughs> but because he just has the hair for it, right? I was going to say his he personality. Has, he has very, very dramatic. Oh, okay. I, I call him Frederick Douglass all the time. Because <laughs> when he takes out his braids, he's got the Frederick, yeah. the Frederick Douglass do going on. And I can just, I can already see what I would want makeup to do with his eyebrows and his, you know, his beard and stuff. I can make Tyrod look like a, a menace. Okay. Uh, and so I would definitely have him as, you know, like the old Sith Lord pulling the strings and things like that. I guess, uh, you know, I could do, uh, man, this is, there's, there's so many, there's so many, so many options uh, and things that you could do. You, you need your, you need your gunslinger, your, your young gun. Uh, you know, we could put, we can make uh, Han Solo, it could be Davis. Davis could be the Han Solo oh, okay. type character. I, he doesn't talk enough for that, though. <laughs> So you you gotta know the personalities of the guys. Davis was, doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Davis you, doesn't talk a lot. He's not the smooth the smooth talker. We'll go. <laughs> we'll, we could go uh, Justin Reed for, for that. Han Solo. Yeah, we can do. Oh, Justin we're just swapping Reed. him out. Yeah, Justin Reed for yeah, Han we'll Solo. Yeah, we'll swap him out. He's got to be the silent the silent type. Yeah. Pharaoh Pharaoh could be uh, Chewbacca because they're the same size. <laughs> uh, technically. <laughs> um, yeah. So I big. mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot what of. What about Luke? Ways you that we could go with Luke. that. Uh, Luke Skywalker, man, that's tough. Luke, Darth Vader, you've got some. That some... is tough. I mean, I so I am one hundred percent a fan of originality. If you're going to make even a fan film of an established IP such as Star Wars, you shouldn't use established characters. The universe is so big that you do it a disservice by recasting an icon. Instead of telling a new story, oh, okay, uh, of someone you else, just create new stories. Create new the... stories, create new characters. That's what I'm hoping that they're going to do with, the, you know, the company that actually owns the IP, because there's there's so many th great things that could happen, uh, and I think the best way to respect it and to respect Star Wars fans is to tell new stories. And I think that you know what what you've seen from these Disney Plus shows, you know, The Mandalorian and things have really really shown that and that's my that's my serious star wars fan talking there well okay so i have a serious star wars question for you so when you go for people that haven't watched any of it there's always this discussion of what's, what order what's the order do you watch it in chron i mean i have my opinion on i'm sure you have yours do you watch it in chronological order as in how it the series of events actually happen or do you watch it in the order of release do you watch all the movies first and then watch the shows or do you intersperse the tv shows into the movies, into some sort of timeline there. So I'll put it this way. The shows always need to come after the movies because the Agreed. shows can introduce things and concepts that you don't understand at all. Now, the only exception to that is The Mandalorian. It can kind of stand alone on its own. It is a space western. It is mm -hmm. a gunslinger show. So you can watch it all on its own and know nothing about Star Wars. Right, that's Because true. you're just watching a western. But all the other TV shows, you need to have a little bit of context with those. Context with those. Now, when it comes to the films, I always break it down this way: If you are a person who appreciates the art uh, and the history of the film industry, I'd say watch them in the order 
that they came out because each of the movies were absolutely groundbreaking and revolutionary for their time. When it came yeah. to VFX, when it came to storytelling, everything, the the visuals, the music, it was all it was all so ahead of its time. Uh, and, and it connected with a whole generation. So if you appreciate the art of film, 100%, watch them in the order that they were made. And you'll learn a lot about where certain techniques came from. You'll learn a lot about where other influences in sci-fi and action and drama, where they were gleaned from Star Wars, which gleaned from Dune. <laughs> and, uh, okay, side note. Well, know, I, I agree with you because I, I think that there's certain surprises that when the movies came out, the fans were shocked and surprised. Yes. And I think if you watch it, out of order, you won't have that same reaction that some of us had when we watched the first This is the around. only caveat, though. If you're not someone who respects the art and the history of film, I would say watch them in the order that they happen, which is watching the, like uh, episode the prequels, one, and then, yeah. one, two, three, because I feel like some people don't give it the time to get into the story. If they're watching an old movie and they don't appreciate old movies for what they are, they go, why am I watching this? Like, it's I don't like, even understand the... <laughs> what's happening. Get to the action. And really, those movies weren't about the action. They did have groundbreaking action. They did have uh, Industrial Light Magic, did have these groundbreaking, you know, VFX scenes and all of these things. But, like, it wasn't about that. It was about the story. It was about the, the characters and their development. And so if you don't appreciate that, definitely watch the new ones because they will grab you with the action. Mm -hmm. And you will be able to glean a little bit from the story. And maybe after watching those three, then you'll be interested enough to say, okay, well, let's watch see these what old happens. Movies too. Let's see what happens after that. You know, <laughs> And then they'll stay, they'll stay connected. But really, like, the, getting into the Star Wars fandom for a lot of people is about being at the impressionable age where those movies could take you somewhere far from here and you can learn things about morality, you can learn things about the struggle between good and evil, you can learn things about being enough in a world that sometimes doesn't think that or from the outside will say that you're not. You know, and that that right there connects with a lot of people. That's, that's deep stuff, Chris. That's really deep. Such a fandom around it. All right, you all, you've always been into sci-fi and science, and I read somewhere that you, when you were in third grade, won a science comp, science fair competition. Mm -hmm. uh, do you remember what your project was? Yeah, so uh, it was for a science fair, and I was one of the kids who really hated science fairs because really? I didn't I didn't want to spend a week of my life preparing, you know, they had those cardboard fold-out yeah, yeah, yeah. things. I didn't want to go home. That's a presentation. It's make, not a project. And yeah. do something, make a presentation about something that 100 kids before me had done. And so I was looking for any loophole that I could find not to make a presentation about something that everyone already knew about. Okay. Uh, and one of the loopholes I found was in the fine print, it said, or an invention. You know, so was, you invented it about, something. It was about, yeah, it was about a, a process or, and it said, or invention. They really didn't want you doing inventions. Most I, people <laughs> were making, you know, volcanoes or talking about right, right, right. photosynthesis so and stuff. <laughs> uh, but I basically took the part where it said an invention, and I looked for a problem in our world to solve it. And that was at the time where Razor scooters were the biggest thing. That doesn't seem that long ago. Okay, you were in third grade when that happened. Everyone okay. was riding Razor scooters. Yeah. Those metal scooters that when they hit you in the shin, you got a big knot and right. it hurt. Yeah, everybody was riding those. And I noticed that everyone in my cul-de-sac, all the kids had them. 
every, even if they had like you know the off-brand, the cheap ones, everybody had a scooter, and that was just the mode of transportation. Oh, I'm going to Jimmy's house. I'm taking my, my scooter. scooter, and they uh-huh. could literally walk across the lawn to Jimmy's house. Yeah, but they rode the scooter. But cooler. when they would get there. They would just drop the scooter on the ground and go into his That's garage right. or something. So there were scooters all over the lawns. And I was like, you know what? They need scooter racks just like they have bike racks. Oh. And so I made – it was a really primitive – you know, obviously I'm, I was no carpenter or builder. Uh-huh. I made a primitive scooter rack that you could slide your scooter in, you know, with your handlebars, and it would just go in here and it would stay upright. Oh, wow. I thought you were going to say you invented a kickstand for the scooter, but that's even no. better. <laughs> So uh, a scooter yeah. stand. So so that won you the science fair. It w- it wasn't a science fair that I won. It actually was submitted by one of the teachers at my school to the National Young Inventors Program. Oh. They have a competition every year where they take inventions across the country and they basically try to identify young innovators and basically support them, give them an opportunity to continue to develop their idea, and basically inc- they get a small scholarship and basically say, hey, don't stop inventing. This is how. You know, our country basically moves industries forward. So I won that. It was the Craftsman NSTA Young Inventors Program, and I was one of eight finalists. This makes so much more sense because I read the prize, which was a very random assortment of things to me because Mm -hmm. I thought it was a science fair. It was a $5,000 savings bond, Mm -hmm. a trip to the Nationals to Chicago with your family, and then a visit with Bob Vila. Yeah. Of this old house, which I think as a third grader, did you Bob, know who Bob Vila was? I knew Bob right? Vila because Bob Vila was in all the Craftsman commercials back uh, then. Oh, yeah. Every single Craftsman tool commercial and building were, this and that. So that's I knew who Bob Vila was. Were you was super really cool. excited to meet? Do you remember meeting Bob I Vila? I was, but I remember thinking like, man, my idea is okay. I'm not really sure what these other kids were. And boy, was I right. When I got there, these oh, other really? kids' inventions. like <laughs> <laughs> I told you I made like this little primitive. It was like a little block of wood. And I had these like angled, you know, pieces of metal that were drilled into it. So that you, it was just wide enough for a scooter. And it was like, oh, like that's cute. And I'm watching like these other kids. This one kid like invented like a way to like. A machine to automatically, I think it was like to water crops or something like that. Oh, I'm like, wow, you're the same age as me. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, I'm not. I'm in a room full of savants, and I just was like, but they're oh, they're wood. not going to be razor scooters on your cul-de-sac anymore. So that was a huge problem at the time. Yeah, well, you know, the scooters aren't as big of a thing anymore. <laughs> but I still do see, you know, these these bird and, and lime scooters all over the ground. They are everywhere. You know, they could have installed scooter racks all the way back then. We could still be using them. All right, so are you into Squid Game? You know, I watched the first episode. Was it first episode or first two episodes last week? Mm-hmm. And I am intrigued. Now, the problem with that is, is I want to binge watch it. but Which is what that, I've heard people knowing generally Knowing that do. I watched the first episode with my wife and she just had a kid, <laughs> it's not really timing up with the ability to binge watch it. And I know she's going to be upset if I watch it. Oh, you can't watch it so without her. I can't her. watch okay. it anymore. Yeah. Because I started it with If I would have started it without her, I'd be already done. Right now, so you're a but fan. I take. I, it. I am. You love am. it. Okay. Yeah, I am. I, I I think it's I think it's great. I think some people don't like watching foreign shows and films, and they don't like subtitles, and they don't like. Well, I I didn't think that was the. Stuff. I thought the issue with Squid Game wasn't so much the subtitles as it was the gore, from what I understand, just from oh, what well, I've I mean, heard about it. I I don't mind it. You don't mind the gore. <laughs> I don't mind it. The, the premise is intre- like for people that don't know, it's it's basically a childhood game that. You play, and if you if you fail, if you fail, you, you die. die. It's yeah. pretty easy. So what 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 would be your 
Squid Game of choice? What would be your game of childhood game of choice? I don't know. I haven't watched the whole. I haven't watched the whole first season yet, so I don't really. But have... do you have a game from your childhood that you think that you would bet on yourself that you would win that game? I mean, I I think that the whole idea of childhood games is just, and I think this is where the show really succeeds is the whole idea of the fact that when you when you played childhood games as a kid, you didn't really fear anything. You know, when you were a kid. You thought you were invincible. Mm-hmm. You jumped off the jungle gym, you know, playing the floor is lava. You know, you you would climb across the highest part because the floor was lava. But you were literally fearless and, and really playing with the idea of something that we relate to in such a in such a area of comfort and then flipping it on its head and making it dangerous. Uh, I think that's one of the psychological bits of that show that just makes it so intriguing to everyone. But I, I feel like if I had to pick Oh, that's scary. <laughs> I loved I love playing dodgeball. Oh. But I feel like if you're playing squid game dodgeball, you're gonna die. <laughs> well, you're a professional football player, so you do have a, a leg up on your competition. Now. You know, I'm I'm in my mind when I think about playing dodgeball, I'm thinking about playing with dodgeball with other people like me. And that's that's a tough game, oh. dodgeball. I'm not thinking about playing yeah. with the no, people I, I played I, with. I I'm pretty sure that you're representing when I was society. in third grade, yeah. if, Our I'm, normal if society I'm playing your... dodgeball, <laughs> you're also with, a wide receiver. So with Ugh. ten other me's, no, yeah, of I, that is not a bet I want to take. No, or if would... I'm playing dodgeball in Squid Game with the guys in this locker room, and it's not just the <laughs> linemen, I'm not taking that bet. Yeah, they just people are too well, athletic at this point. That that makes sense to me. I, I'm thinking in society, you'd probably you'd probably do pretty well with Squid Game dodgeball. Uh, if I had to guess, hey, when when your life's on the line, you never your know life's what on people the line, do. All right, Chris. Well, you, you mentioned the baby, so I have to ask you, uh, what's surprised you most? I know it's early on, but anything really stand out to you or surprise you about being a dad so far? I think I would say the fact that she's very attentive. She's very, like, I get, I get the best. I tell people I get the best parts of the baby because when I come home, she's just awake, <laughs> eyes open, uh, not crying, not screaming, nothing. She just wants to sit there and hang out. But I have help, you know, my, my sister was here, my mother-in-law was here, and they uh, have been watching the baby during the night, so I've been able to sleep at night and, you know, do my recovery and get ready for practice. But um, I, I definitely was not expecting her to, like, have such a, like, 180 change. You know, she goes from being, like, so cool, calm, and everything's fine with Dad. Uh-huh. And then I, you know, get downstairs in the morning as I'm leaving. And it's like, hey, how'd you sleep? And it's like, she did it. Oh, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, like, really? Like, I, I've never seen her do that. She, she just seems really, so happy when I'm around. I don't know what's going on. She doesn't. Of. Like, if she cries around me, it's for, like, just, like, a couple minutes. And then, just, then it's just cool. She's just chilling. Wow. Yeah. But then, like, she's apparently she's up all night. Well, you're sleeping, so you wouldn't. Uh, you just have to take everyone else's word for it that she was. Yeah, you know. Good for but, you for getting some sleep, though. You no, know, she's. But she's been. She's been great. She's wide-eyed and uh, and beautiful. All right. Well, congratulations. And you know what? I'm gonna have to hit you up again when some of these Star Wars, these prequels and sequels come out, and get your thoughts on them. I know. I'm. I'm terrified, but I hope they're. <laughs> I, I feel like you're the pro. Good. I have to ask you. I'm such. I'm such a fan that I'm actually. I'm hopeful. With, you know, with the leadership that they've kind of allowed to do their thing now, letting directors tell their stories instead of telling a director what story to tell. You know, I I think that's a good model for filmmaking. I hope that they continue to do that. Let people tell the stories. You know, you brought them in to tell a story. Let them tell it. 
I like it. He's very hopeful and optimistic about yeah. Star Wars. Yeah. Good to know. All right, thanks, Chris. Thank you so much for the time. No problem. Thanks for having me. DP City with Chris Conley. When we get back, more highlights from Andre Johnson being named a finalist for the Hall of Fame. It'll be officially announced the week of the Super Bowl, who makes the inductee list. So one more hill to climb. Also, John Grenard with DP and then some here on Texans Radio. Touchdown! Texans Radio continues in a moment. From the slightest bend to complex motions, your body is made to move. At Houston Methodist Orthopedics and Sports Medicine, our teams are using advanced technology and imaging to develop custom treatment plans, and our minimally invasive procedures can help you heal faster. We have the expertise to keep you moving because every movement matters. Find the care you need at locations throughout Houston. Houston Methodist, leading medicine. Leading medicine. Leading. For an in-depth look at your favorite Texans players, don't miss Texans 360, Saturday nights at 11 on ABC 13. Offset eye, Yates back to throw, looking, pumping out, firing deep down the left side. Watts Andre Johnson has him at the five. He's in. Andre Johnson, welcome to the playoffs. 40 yards. Continuing to celebrate Andre Johnson being named a Hall of Fame finalist as the inductee list will be announced Super Bowl week. But Andre named a finalist today shortly after 4 p.m. Central. Hoping for the best. We're playing some highlights coming out of the breaks, including that one from the playoff win over Cincinnati, the inaugural playoff game in Texans history. And Andre Johnson, of course, a part of it, catching a touchdown in the second half. And boy, what a release that was. All the hard work he did throughout his career finally gets a chance to play in the postseason and makes the most of it. All right, let's continue here on Texans All Access. No Thursday night game. Let's get to some best of. Jonathan Grenard and D.P. Sidhu had a chance to sit down, and Grenard, super interesting. Let's hear it. Jonathan Grenard, bright spot as head coach David Culley describes him. How has it been for you in year two, just healthy, getting back on the field, getting some plays out there? It's fun. I think just with a new feel of everything, you know, with new coaching staff, uh, new players as well, I think overall we just kind of have that that new feel, and I think we're all hungry. I think we all got kind of got a clean slate here. And I think just all of us gelling together and all having that same mindset of, you know, some guys are on one-year deals and stuff like that. They're just trying to put their best foot forward. And I think when you have that all in the room in general, not just on the defensive side but on the other side as well in all aspects, it helps everybody just to – one thing you don't have to worry about is effort, and I think that one thing keeps driving us to make the plays and stuff like that. All right, speaking of effort, you've had multi-sack back-to-back games, so right. two sacks and back-to-back games. It seems like you're really getting to the quarterback. Is something different for you this year? What's What's been your secret to really getting after it after these quarterbacks? Yeah, I think uh, last year just getting my feet wet a little bit, understanding how the game goes uh, helped me out a lot in those aspects just to get a feel for it. Um, but definitely just to continue just to keep playing. Like I said, with this with this new staff, new system, and the new scheme we run, it just lets people play. It lets the guys just go, you know, get in your gap, gives you assignment, and not to think that much and just go make plays. So I think once the thinking aspect was taken out of it, uh, especially coming from last year with a different defense, um, I was just able to go, and I think that's what we're seeing now, just for me just continue to be relentless in effort uh, just so that way I can try to make the most plays for the team. You're also getting after the running backs. I don't want to just say you're getting <laughs> after the, the quarterbacks. Yeah. The year one to year two jump, that's something that we hear a lot about. You're right. still really young. You're early in your career. But how different are you now than you were a year ago? Yeah, like I said, I'm just more confident. Now. I think overall, just like I said, having that year in the league, understanding that, you know, it's 
it's still football at the end of the day. Most people can say that, but actually knowing that when you're on the field is a totally different thing. And I think when I just put that to the side and understand, okay, it's football at the end of the day. These guys put their stuff on the same way. Um, and the stuff that you work on the offseason, use it. I mean, these are things that, you know, you don't work on it for, for nothing. And these are things that guys probably haven't seen when you ask them new to your repertoire. So um, I think the success just comes with that. Now, I work really hard in the offseason, and even still to this point, I still work hard to keep my body right so that way I can make these plays uh, week in and week out. So um, I'm excited. I mean, this is the beginning for me. I'm still excited for where this team goes. I mean, we've got a lot in the tank. I think we just got to now just put it on tape, just finish it out so that way we can get the result we want to get. Yeah, obviously not the result that you guys want right. so far. Uh, Levy Smith said, you know, we think the sack numbers are really high for you, but Levy Smith said that you probably – that you still left some sacks on the field. Yeah, yeah. Do you <laughs> feel that in game? Do you feel like, oh, that was that was a mis- opportunity or is that something that you go back and you watch the film and you see it it's a little bit of both but majority of times I, I see it or I feel it like as soon as I the play happens I come to the sideline like oh, I should have had that one like I just know that you know in the coast game I got tripped up I know I should have had that one or it's a, a holding call you just see that you know whether you clear this hand or that's that goes back to your training you know uh, clean, clearing those hands so that way they can't hold you so that way you don't not get the sex all those little small details that you have to hone in on and i as D lineman or anybody knows, when you, when you miss the play because of a technique thing, you know it instantly. Okay. So I've read that you actually started playing football. It was a, a funny story. Yeah. You were four years old, yeah. and somebody approached your mom about yeah. whether or not you played football. Yeah, it was funny. I, um, she says it to this day, and I, I, I remember the day, but I just don't remember it. I'm, the way she explains it. So, I mean, I was just a kid out there playing football, having fun. And, you know, uh, my coach at the time was like, hey, you just come play football. And I never knew anything about it. So when they brought it, my mom and my dad brought it to us, me and my brother, um, he was he was bigger than I was. So you knew he was playing offensive line, but I was going to play running back. But I started off as uh, a lineman as well. And it, it took for me to take a handoff as a nose guard. I ended up running through the line, taking a handoff back, literally out the quarterback's hand. It was like, okay, well, this kid's playing running back. <laughs> and I honestly played running back. All the way up until like my ninth, tenth grade year of high school. So, and then they moved me to. I made the transition to tight end, receiver, and D line. So, my, those dreams of those days were over with once I hit a growth spurt. So I couldn't play running back anymore. Sadly. You're on the defense. <laughs> so you could still you could still get the ball in your hands, oh, yeah, but it'd, it'd sure. have to be a major play right, for that right, to happen. For sure. All right, you said something once in an interview that really intrigued me. You said, "We never knew as kids what we were going through until we were older and realized what was going on." Mm-hmm. At that time, you said your mom made it seem like you were living in high fashion. Oh, yeah, for sure. So how did your mom make you feel that you were living the lo- living a big life when yeah, you weren't? Yeah, I just got to know her. I mean, it's I can explain it, but she has this energy sometimes or we didn't realize it back then, but I mean, she just makes she's not to keep everything calm. I mean, she's been through so much in her life to know she not she know how to weather any storm. Honestly, it's so many stories we have growing up. Me, my brother, and my sister, of us just like I said, we 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 thought we were living lavish, but I mean, we look back now and it's like, okay, well, we did we struggled a little bit. I mean, like everybody has their stories. We had tough times, but she, you would never know under the, under that roof. I mean, we had times where it was money was tight, where food was tight, but we had a meal somehow, whether it was scrapped together or not. We we ate. So that's all I knew. My my stomach was full. I had clothes on my back, shoes on my feet, and a roof over my head, and and that's all. I, that's all that mattered. And then she didn't, she didn't put that on us. She didn't cast the stress or worries on us. And you never seen it on her face. She will come into the house, hey, how you doing, babe? Get us a kiss and all that. And she's straight to cooking every week. I mean, every day. I mean, it's just like a routine for her. So that hats off to her. I, I love that lady to death. And uh, those are things that you know you, you you take pride in and you cherish those moments because of the struggle that she not only were we going through, but to think about what she had yeah, of to course. go through, to, to mask all of that. And, and my sister, she was older than all of us. She's 10 years older than me, so at the time she kind of knew what was going on. But obviously hats off to her as well 
she never let that be known with us as me and my me and my brother being the youngest. We didn't know any any of that was going on the whole time. They were letting you guys have just a normal, oh, carefree childhood. Listen, at, at what point did you realize that it that things were tougher than she let on? I think it was when I was um it's a story as well, when we were in the recruiting process. I was a senior in high school, or well, going into my senior year and we went for a visit up to UK for for a camp, University of Kentucky. And we went up there, and obviously things didn't go as planned, and uh, we had to make a transition down to Louisville. But at the time, we only had our plans to go to U.K. at the time, money-wise. But we ended up having to scrap some, some stuff together, um, some coins together, and end up calling people to, to send money so that we were able to go to Louisville and, hell, even make it back home. So From Kentucky, from which Louisville, it wasn't. Which is, like I said, Louisville to Georgia, that's about five-and-a-half-hour drive. Yeah. So um, gas ain't cheap. So when, when when those situations arose, I think that was a time when I was like, okay, well, I – I see how it is now. I understand that, you know, money doesn't grow on trees. I mean, this is money is not just a thing that we don't have to worry about. It's a thing that we, my mom definitely makes it a priority for us. So when I seen that happen, I, I instantly know I said, well, at this point now, I got to make it. I got to be, be to this point where she has never had to be in a situation where you got to ask anybody for money or anything that monetary, whatever, physical, whatever it has to be. She will never have to worry about that again. And I think from that point on, I took that on my shoulder and I said, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna take care of her. Is that the biggest motivation for you as far as playing football and why you want to be successful in, yeah, in the NFL? For sure. I think not just her, but just my family in general. We we just, like I said, me, it was me and my brother and my sister and my mom pretty much and obviously with my father at the time. But it was just basically us pretty much our whole lives, and I think that's why we stick together so much now. I just want to take care of them. I mean, they're the ones who pretty much, you know, I, I cried on their shoulders. I, they cried on my shoulders. We all stuck together, and it's not that many of us. we got a small circles of family. But just to see the joy in their faces uh, when, when things when, – when they have one less thing to worry about, it, that just makes my joy. I, I don't have to have anything else, but as long as they're straight, I'm good. Oh, that sounds – that's really nice. Oh, You're just sure. so so close to your family. Oh, sure. Were you promoting your mom's book recently oh, on man. social media? Yeah, go get that. My mom – Your mom wrote a book? My mom has a book, man. It's it's on her life story, and I think – I really want you all to read it. All right, what's by, the book called? What's your mom – give your mom's name and give the book details. Her name is Carmen Grenard Varnum. Her book is By His Grace, I'm Here. I mean, it, it's it's literally what the title is. And I, she's been through so much. Her story, um, her growing up in the foster care system to now – able to raise three children on her own and 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 obviously with the help of my stepfather and my, my my father but but at the time most times she was with my sister by herself when she was young i mean her her upbringing was really really tough for her to be sane um or the same woman with this so much energy it, it's amazing once you read the book and understand the the background of where she came from it, it, it touches me i haven't read it yet i mean i've, I've not read many, many books in my life you're going to um, read this one, though. This is going to be a book that I, I pretty much am going to read from top to bottom. It's going to leave some tears. It's going to have tears. You're going to have do you laughs. Know, do you know your mom's whole story? I know. Will there be surprises I, in I it for ma- you? I know majority of the story. Some stuff she's, she's, she's not told me all the way just because she knows how emotional I am about her. She knows Aww. that she knows that certain things that will kind of not, not – I won't. I never will look at her uh, sideways or, or a different way, but it's just to be like, wow, you really went through that. You were, you, you're still here to this day. You know, on on two feet, sane and 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 healthy, which with, with children looking beautiful. I mean, at fifty four, she just had a birthday. Her birthday actually was on the twenty fourth. So, oh, happy birthday! Yeah, happy, shout out, to, shout out to my dude. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, I think the book for her, she's been talking about. It. She's been in the works of it for about a couple of years now. Couple of years. Yeah. So from now, actually, to get the story out there published and actually with a book cover with her picture on it, everything. Wow. The whole process is is a, is a whole process. But every time we talk about the book, I mean, she's been writing. I remember she just would write chapters, just be writing them down. And literally in the middle of her writing, she's just bursting out in tears just because of the emotions of 
going back to the past and stuff like that. But that's why, like I said, her her energy, her 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 drive, her determination, I get that from her. I mean, I don't put up with nothing. She don't put up with nothing either. And I just got that grinding mentality. She gonna get it some type of way. One thing about my mom, a hustler, she gonna get it some type of way. And that's that's why we're in the situation we are now because of how she's just poured that into me, and I'm bringing that up to this are point. you in the book too you think you're in the book i hope so <laughs> <laughs> i hope i think no, i definitely am i, I mean know, you know that part of the story sure, but... I, I, I know i'm in the book but uh <laughs> I, I think i'll probably come a little bit later on because like i think i mean so much stuff happened before i was even born i mean my, me and my sister were 10 years apart so you got to think from the 10 year point from when she, my sister was born and obviously my brother were, three, were four years apart and even in those times i mean just everything that's transpired between that point in time you'll see and it's like wow she's even sane enough to even have two more children after my sister so it's crazy my mom she's a fighter man she's a warrior i think when people really get to know her and understand her they'll really understand why her energy and why she's so loving my mom has no enemies i mean if you have an enemy if you're an enemy of my mom you got to check yourself, to be There's honest. There's something wrong with There's you. There's something wrong with you. It's just because, I mean, she has a ways. Don't get me wrong. Obviously, everybody does. But I think her passion for wanting to, you know, mend relationships or be the person that you can cry on or, you know, just somebody to vent to. She wants to be that person. And you'll understand why within her book. So uh, for y'all out there, definitely go check out the book. It's definitely hitting the stores. And I'm just happy for her. I'm so and proud of her. I mean, that is huge. It, it's huge. And man. it's called By, By His Grace. By His Grace. Uh, it's When I tell you that that title could not be more fitting than any other title. So she took her time with this one. Um, and I, I think nobody will be disappointed. All right. So you talk about her drive, but your drive, you're 18 yeah. credit hours away from getting your MBA. I am. Have you chipped away at any of that, or what's your plans for that? Uh, with COVID, changed everything up. I definitely do anticipate to finish it within this next year. Really? Uh, hopefully within the season. Well, the season's got to get through first, and then um, uh, that off season. Like I said, really, eighteen credit hours is just a full year, to be honest. So I think I, I can, if I have it in the tank, I just want to get it out the way while I still have college on my mind. Yeah, you're because, not too far removed you know from what I'm it saying? yet. So I think over when I when I get to that point, I, I know I need to get a move on it. But I still got a good relationship with the director uh, there at the program. Um, with Parker and guys like that. This so, is at um, this is at Florida. Florida. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, I still have a good relationship with them. So I, I pretty much is just when I get the time for it, I'm gonna finish it up. I, I, that's that's something I gotta finish. I, I started it. I gotta finish. It. Are you a good student? Like, what? How are you in the classroom yeah, or here in the meetings? It's crazy. So uh, high school, I was not the greatest student, but it wasn't a matter of me not knowing the information. I just I didn't apply myself. So um, once I actually applied myself and realized, okay, well. This work is not hard. It's just you, once you put your mind to it and knock it out, you'll be like, okay, you you, you have to take the, the small lessons out of it. And then obviously we know that GPA is, like I say this to everybody, GPA is not a matter of how smart you are. It's just about how disciplined you are. Sure. So once I got over that hump of like, okay, these people really just think that I'm dumb or I don't know this information, really it's like, look, no, we're setting you up for these lessons in life. And I think overall once I mastered that, that lesson from it, um, I was a better student in the classroom and in the football field too. So it helped out. All right, so Lovey says that you're still coming into your own. He says that you still have your best football ahead of you. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that, and, and how do you think you're going to get better here throughout the rest of the year? Yeah, I, I think the same thing. I, I've been, I'm a guy who I'm, I'm my worst own critic. I literally, if you can say I had a good game, I don't think I may have a good game just because of maybe it's a couple plays in there that I feel like I wasn't perfect on my technique. I try to be perfectionist. This game is about trying to be perfect, trying to find the next step to enhance your game to where you're beating your opponent at, at the snap of a finger. So I think overall, yeah, I'm definitely on that same boat as he is just because of the things I know I'm capable of as far as just getting healthier, making sure the body feels right, making sure my mind is right, you know, just making sure technique, everything is cleaned up so that way I can be a more efficient player. All right, looking forward to seeing it, John. Always a pleasure. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much for having me. 
That's DP Sidhu with Jonathan Grenard, a little best of for you. Coming up, more with Andre Johnson and some reaction prior to his Ring of Honor ceremony from former teammates from the University of Miami. That's right, and also a current Hall of Famer, a former Kane, and we'll hear from him as well. That's all coming up here on Texans Radio. Can't get enough Texans radio? We've got shows. We've got podcasts. We've got interviews. It's all on HoustonTexans.com. The Houston Texans scratch ticket from the Texas Lottery is your ticket for a chance to win up to $100,000. And it's your opportunity to enter promotional drawings for a chance to win an away game trip on a private plane, VIP season tickets, luxury suite tickets to a home game, and more. So get your Houston Texans scratch ticket today. Houston NFL Holdings LP, all rights reserved. For detailed game odds and information, visit txlottery.org or call 800-375-6886. Must be 18 or older to purchase a ticket or enter a promotional second chance drawing. Play responsibly. It's like Netflix, but free. Go to HoustonTexans.com and click listen for every episode of our Texans radio shows. Job in the gun. Throws it right side. Wide receiver screen. Andre Johnson across the 40, 35 to his right 30. 25, 20, 15, 10, 5. Rock and roll. The Texans win it. Andre Johnson, 48 yards. My goodness. Houston wins in overtime. What a play that was. Andre Johnson winning the game against Jacksonville in 2012. He's a Hall of Fame finalist now, folks. Final list comes out Super Bowl week. Frank Gore played with Andre Johnson at the University of Miami. They go back to high school, and that's where Gore remembers him most. Johnny Harris put this together. On the field, I'm going to go back to high school when we played him. When he ran back, kickoff return, caught it, I think, two or three deep balls on us. Um, uh, off the field, great dude, very humble. You know, do anything for you. And um, he like a brother to me. Another one of Andre's teammates at Miami was Reggie Wayne. Now, Reggie's first recollection of Andre, well, I'll let him tell you about it. My earliest impression of Andre Johnson at the U was a guy that came in with little words but was ready to work. I actually host him on his visit, and he probably said three or four words on his whole trip. And most of those words was, take me home. That's all he would say. Luckily for Miami, Andre did stay home and went to the University of Miami and was a superstar, All-American, number three pick in the draft, and then he got into the NFL. And that's really where Reggie had a chance to see him twice a year. And they met former University of Miami receivers. And this is what Reggie Wayne said stood out to him about Andre on the field. The one thing that stood out the most about Andre Johnson playing the game was he was able to be effective with so many different quarterbacks. It didn't matter who was throwing the ball. He would always have the finishing product of scoring touchdowns. Is Andre Johnson a Hall of Famer? Well, we asked Reggie Wayne. Here's what he had to say. Andre Johnson is without a doubt a Hall of Fame receiver. Not only I'm saying that, I'm not being biased because he went to the U, but man, you knew when he was on the field that he was going to make some things happen. Like I said, didn't matter what his quarterback was, didn't matter who was out there on the field with him, he was going to get the ball and he was going to make some big things happen. A guy that was not a teammate but is often thought of in the same circles as Andre Johnson is Michael Irvin because of the connection at the University of Miami. In fact, you could argue that Michael Irvin was probably the first great wide receiver at the University of Miami. And then there were plenty that followed, including Andre Johnson. Well, Michael Irvin 
talked about what made Andre so special in the NFL. What impressed me the most about Andre Johnson's career with the Texans is you look at all the great receivers that ever played this game, the guys that will have that gold jacket one day like he will, and you can look and say, wow, they had a quarterback. Usually their quarterbacks get gold jackets too. I'm in there. Jerry Rice is in there. Steve Young, Joe Montana's in there, Troy Aikman's in there with me. Hey, Andre Johnson, that was a different situation. He will have the gold jacket, and he did it with guys that will not have a gold jacket. His ability raised up other people to make them play great. Some Andre Johnson memories. Let's hope he gets into the hall the week of the Super Bowl. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you very much, Austin and Tyler, for producing. Have a great night, and go Texans! This is Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610. Hi, I'm Tito Beveridge, founder and master distiller at Tito's Handmade Vodka. In 1997, we became the first micro distillery in the state of Texas, and we're still making the same smooth stuff after all these years. We're still cooking in a pot still, working with our dogs by our sides, having fun and tasting batches, and I'm still wearing the same hat even after all these years. Head over to titosvodka.com to learn more about what else we're doing the same. Cheers. 80 proof Tito's handmade vodka, distilled and bottled in Austin, Texas. titosvodka.com. Crafted to be savored responsibly. 